This episode of the podcast, sponsored by BasketballNews.com, we have Fox Sports analyst, co-host of The Odd Couple on radio and podcast with Rob Parker, and Cleveland finest, I will put that in there, Chris Broussard, man. What's up? How you doing? What's up, Pose, man? It's great to be on with you. <laughs> man, thank you uh, for taking the time out. You know, sort of roles are reversed right now, but... <laughs> you know, I appreciate you taking the time out, though. Hey, I, I don't know how many people know, but I uh, I covered you in high school. I remember yeah. I think you were a sophomore when I first heard about you at Twinsburg High School outside of Cleveland. And mm-hmm. uh, you're right, the roles are reversed. I did a big feature story on you one year, and I was saying yeah. earlier to you, I remember – I don't know if we were in the high school library or cafeteria, but somewhere I remember sitting down. The cafeteria. Yeah. So I followed yeah. you. You know, I remember then you went to Xavier, which was great. And um, and I went to, I remember going to one of your games. You might not even remember this. I think Uh-oh. it was, I, don't, I think y'all were playing Akron maybe. But I okay, remember yeah. talking to you and telling you, yo, after the game, you know, you got a great shot to make it to the league. Just keep okay. doing what you're doing, and obviously you had a great career, man. So it's uh, it's you. great to 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 be here with you, see all your success, and um, you. welcome to the media. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you, man. I, I appreciate all that. You know, you know, born up, you was born and raised in in uh, Baton Rouge, Louisiana, and then you worked your way up to Cleveland, went to Holy Name. Tell us how that transition was there, and tell me a little bit about growing growing up in Cleveland. Man, for me, I mean, I I actually moved around a lot as a kid. So I was born in Baton Rouge, Louisiana. But my father, his job, he wasn't in the military, but he got transferred all the time. And Mm -hmm. so I lived in, I moved from Baton Rouge when I was a baby. So I lived in Cincinnati for about seven years. Cincinnati. Yeah, then I lived in Indianapolis, Indiana for like four years. Then Syracuse, New York for a year and a half. Then, believe it or not, Des Moines, Iowa for two and a half years. Oh, and then, okay. then I'm, I moved to Cleveland like the last quarter of my junior year of high school. Okay. And, so, and then I went to Oberlin College, which was, you know, near Cleveland. And right. my first job was at the Cleveland Plain Dealer. So Ohio is really home. You know, that's where I lived more than any place growing up. But, mm-hmm. um, you know, moving around – it was, it, I, there were pros and cons, you know, uh, as you mm-hmm. can imagine, that first day of school is always a trip when you go to a new place, you know, you don't right. know where you yeah. right. um, But it taught me that you can get along with, it taught me how to get along with different types of people. Uh-huh. And it taught me also that you could be happy anywhere. Like there, mm. I had favorite places. Like I liked, I love Cincinnati. I loved Indianapolis. But I was genuinely happy everywhere. Like I made friends, right. and, you know, and um, and it also made my family closer. Because when you first move, that's all you have is each other, right. you know. So mm-hmm. um, so it was some benefits to to moving around. But uh, Cleveland, uh, like I said, finished high school there, played at Holy Name, and yep. um, that was that's you know my parents still live there, so that's that's home in a lot of ways. Right. So you play basketball and you play a little bit of football, too. What was your game like in basketball? <laughs> if you could compare it to a today's player and then football, what position did you play and where did you fit in out there? 
Well, football, football was actually my favorite sport, like growing up. And, you know, Ohio is a football state. Mm -hmm. Um, My dream was to be like the next great tailback at USC. (laughs) That was back when, you know, OJ Simpson, then Charles White, Anthony Davis. They had a bunch of great tailbacks back then. And um, and I was a running back early on. But then like my sophomore year in high school, I was kind of small. So they moved me to receiver. And mm-hmm. so um, my senior year, we won- We made the state playoffs, which is big. You know, we won our division, yeah. the North Coast uh, Conference, and we made the state playoffs. We lo- You remember Benedictine. I know you know Benedictine. Oh, yeah. Oh, they yeah. beat us. They, were the, uh, they beat us in the regular season, and then they beat us in the playoffs. But they had Larry Wonky, who ended up going to Pitt and playing there. And then he, he ended up he, – he was drafted. I don't know if he spent any time in the NFL. But um, mm-hmm. so they beat us. But I was, a, you know, I was a receiver, um, had some touchdowns that year. Um, I had a good year. You know, I had I actually played most of that year with a hip pointer, but still was playing through it. You know, I played hurt. So okay. <laughs> but, um, but it was I, I had a, I had a pretty good, good uh, season there. And then basketball, I was a point guard and we I was there in 86 at Holy Name. So we actually went to we got to the district final, which okay. was the furthest that Holy Name had ever been since like 1972, and uh, mm-hmm. that's when they just had you know the, we were the big schools. It was A, AA, AAA. We were in AAA, and um, so we you know I had a really good season. Played in the city, made all conference play. You you probably I don't know if you were considered Cleveland or Akron because Twinsburg was kind of in between. But we played, you know how they had that city all-star game for the best seniors in the area? Yeah. I played in that. And um, so that was, a, you know, obviously an achievement. And did you play? Because I know if you were considered Cleveland, I know you would have played in that. Yeah. Yeah, we did that. So that's why I said it was, you know, because we're Division II. So, you know what I'm saying? You you still had the Cleveland side of things. So when it came to, like, the – you say the playing dealer, the post, and the pick of the teams, everything was Cleveland-related for the most part, but we we're just on the outer skirts of things right there. Um, you know, i tell you this, and I, you could probably relate to this, because when I covered – when I was covering the Akron area high schools and covered you guys, it was always a challenge to pick the all, like, area teams mm-hmm. because – you would have guys, you know, you know how it was. You had these small schools, yeah, like Revere <laughs> and you know, oh, yeah. uh, not the yeah. real small ones, but you know, you had those suburban schools where guys would average like thirty points a game or twenty five points a game, but they were right. going to play D three, and oh, then yeah, you had yeah. some guys that were playing D one mid major or D one, mm-hmm. but their numbers weren't as big. You know what I mean? Right. But yep. They were you knew they were better, but the numbers of these other guys were like all through the roof, you know. Right. And so it was always interesting with that. But um, but yeah, so that's my basketball. And then I played in college, uh, division three. They recruited me for football and basketball. And so I played basketball, but uh yeah, I played you were you were Steph Curry before anybody ever knew, huh? Like <laughs> shooting the trade ball. Shoot, I wish, man. I, I you know, <laughs> hey, real talk. When this will make you laugh. When I played in high school, they didn't even have a three-point line. What? Oh, <laughs> they, stop playing. They did not stop playing. I'm aging myself like crazy, man. <laughs> stop 
They oh, didn't have, we so had it in college. We had it in college, but we didn't have it in high school. Man, so you getting buckets straight mid-range. Mid-range. It was mid-range for real, man. I, I Even in college, when we had the three, I didn't shoot a lot of threes. I mean, you know, back then it was the late right. 80s. It just wasn't yeah. a big deal, you know? Right. It was either like dunks, layups, or mid-range jump shots. Right. Yeah, so the threes didn't come in. But look, with all that said, I mean, you in the school's Hall of Fame. How, how did that feel? You know what I'm saying? Man, I mean, you know, you that was work. great. Yeah, that was, that was, that was awesome. Um, and it was a couple, about, I guess about four or five years ago when they inducted me. Um, and uh, it's a real achievement and accomplishment, you know, so it, it felt great, you know. All right, from Holy Name, you make it, like you said, you go to Oberlin College. Why Oberlin College? Was it because you were able to play both sports there or you just felt comfortable enough to, to go to Oberlin? Did you have any other options? Yeah, I'm going to be honest. Like, I was being recruited for football and basketball by Division three schools. So it was smaller schools around, you know, the Ohio, Indiana, Pennsylvania, just that whole region. Mm -hmm. And um, so most of the schools I was visiting, Baldwin, Wallace, Case Western Reserve, some other school. I'm just gonna mm -hmm. keep it real. Most of them were like Lily White, like hardly any African Americans. And actually, the ones mm -hmm. I mentioned, Baldwin Wallace, Case Western Reserve, they had some blacks, but a lot of other schools, Washington and Jefferson, just a host of schools I went to visit, didn't really have many African Americans. And I mm -hmm. wanted to go to a school that had a strong black population. So when I went to visit Oberlin, first they um it's funny because um, the coach called me and I wasn't home. He talked to my dad. And uh, so I get home. My father tells me, yeah, Oberlin called, you know, and uh, their coach, he said, you got any interest in Oberlin? I was like, nah, I'm not really, you know, really interested in Oberlin. I never even heard of it, you know. And he was like, well, the coach was a brother, you know, mm, so uh, you might right. want to check it out, <laughs> you know, black, black. <laughs> And right. so, um, so I was like, you know, I'll, I'll go visit. So, man, I go visit, and the team, and this is unusual for Division Three. the team was virtually all black. You know, mm. I mean, we, they had some, a few white guys, but it was virtually all black. You have black players in Division Three, obviously, but it's right. not any teams that are mostly or all, or black. basically all black. Right, and then right. Oberlin, I don't know if you know this, but it, it's got a great, like, history with African-Americans. So it was okay. the first school in the country that was a, a, not a, I don't even know if they had HBCUs when it was founded, but Oberlin was the first school in the country to admit African-Americans. Wow. And so, I like, in the, in the early 1900s, two-thirds of all Black college graduates had gone to Oberlin. And wow. so, you know, and Oberlin was a stop on the Underground Railroad. I don't know if y'all ever played them, but they were, man, no. their town, y'all never played Oberlin? No, no, we never played them. Their town, their high school team was nasty. They won <laughs> in 86. They were smart. They were like, uh, I think, Division two too. But they won uh -huh. state in 86, my year. And, I mean, we used to go to their game. I mean, they was just, they had, they sent a lot of dudes to D1. Um, okay. but they were nice. So it had a lot of blacks in the town, but the school had a lot of African-Americans and it also had, unlike most schools recruiting me, it had students from all over this country and even all over the world because it's, it's, mm. you know, it's such a good school. 
And so that was all unique. So I was like, man, you know, I'm, I can go here and, and have a great time socially and then play ball. And so, um, so it, it worked out, it worked out, man. And, um, so that's, that's really why I chose it. So at, at what point did you say, you know, living the hoop dream and the football dream now it's a change of course. And now yeah. you get into the sports writing thing. When, when, what moment was that for you when you was like, you know what, uh, I'm, I'm taking, I'm gonna take a liking to it and see where it takes me, and then right. eventually, you know, fall in love with it. How did that all happen for you? Yeah, it's funny, man, because I mean, look, like I said, I was a Division three player, and even coming out of high school, I was a local star, but I wasn't, you know, a, a national type star. So I, I mean, I knew really realistically, I had no shot at playing, you know, past college. But you know, you young, you got your dreams. You know what I mean? Right. So you dreaming, yeah, of course. They dreaming. Maybe you know, I have a great career because it was a few D three guys that would get drafted. You pro- you might remember Greg Grant, little five seven yeah. guard. Yeah, he played D three. Yeah. One of the guys from Oberlin actually, uh, back in the in a few years before I got there, got a tryout with the Cavs. He got drafted in the late. This is when they had more than two rounds. So I had those dreams, but then. You know, quickly you get you you know. I realized after pretty quick that I wasn't going to the NBA. So <laughs> honestly, man, what happened with me was my sophomore year. I looked around at my friends and um, my teammates, and and it was honestly it was looking around at, at mostly African American students too, who okay. were my friends and stuff, and um, and they all had plans. Like they all knew I'm going to be an engineer or I'm going to go to law school after, you know, college. I'm going, the girl I ended up marrying, I met my wife there. She knew she was going to medical school. Um, Mm -hmm. I had teammates going to public policy school. You know, they all just knew what they were were doing after Oberlin. And Mm -hmm. I, I didn't have a clue, man. I started, believe it or not, I started off as an economics major. Cause I just, I didn't know what I wanted to do. So I figured <laughs> right. let me try business, right? My dad is right. in business, let me try business. And right. then I took introduction to economics and that ended my econ career. <laughs> it just wasn't for me, man. It was, uh, I passed it. I got like a C or C minus, but it was, I was done with it. And so what I did, I, you know, looking around, seeing everybody, I was like, man, I got two and a half years before I'm out in the real world and I have mm-hmm. to, you know, be responsible yeah, and take right, care of myself. Right. Being <laughs> right. And I got scared, man. So I, I came up with a formula and I mm-hmm. said, let me look at something I enjoy plus something that I'm gifted at. Cause I was like, I want a career that I can enjoy and obviously something I do well. So I obviously always love sports. And then I was a gifted writer. So I could, I, you know, I just, that was just a gift. I was always able to write. And so I said, let me try to become a sports writer. So then I wrote a little bit on the newspaper, school newspaper, and was fortunate to get an internship uh, the summer after my junior year at the Plain Dealer. And mm-hmm. that's really where I did well that summer. And that's really where my whole career started. So who, who were you? Was it anyone that you looked up to that you saw like, man, like, this person makes this more interesting than I really thought it would. Then, or, you know, for us, like basketball players, it's somebody, a player that you look up to, like, right. oh, okay, I like his game. And 
man, I want to I want to be be that type of player. It was it somebody for you that you saw like, hmm. I sort of like how I mean, he just growing up, you know, I I loved like Brent Musburger, you know, who and mm. I, and he his heyday was probably you were really young, but he was really the man for a while. Um, right. And then some of the other broadcasters I just liked, you know, growing up, obviously Howard Cosell. Uh, and then seeing black ones like a Fred Hickman. I don't know if you remember Fred Hickman, but he no, was I, back I in the day and uh, he was really good. So those are guys that inspired me. Um, and then you might remember a writer named Elton Alexander at the Plain Dealer. He covered the Mac. But um, when I'm I first sure. got to the Plain Dealer, they had him kind of mentor me and take me around. And so he he showed me the ropes. He was an African-American and um, so he he really helped me out a lot. But, you know, it wasn't like today where you had, I mean, you had ESPN, but it was uh-huh. not nearly as popular, you know. Um, and it just wasn't like today where you, you didn't have the Internet. So you right. weren't seeing the national guys like you are today. Right. So you, 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 you did work with the Cleveland Plain Dealer, also the Akin Beaker Journal. And then the New York Times. Now, Cleveland, Akron, small market, but the New York Times, to be able to do work for them, how did that make you feel? And how did that, how did that happen for you? You know, you, like you said, you started in Cleveland. Now you end up doing work in, for the New York Times. Right. How was that for you? Yeah, that was, um, you know, it was, it was when I was in Akron, the Beacon Journal, that's when I started covering the Cavs. And so I covered during you know, what I call like the Bobby Phils, Chris Mills, Terrell Brandon uh, era. You know? Okay, yeah, Mike yeah. Mike Petella was the coach. Yeah. And so yeah. What, what bigger papers would look, they always looking for talent. And so the New York Times contacted me, you know, and like, hey, we like the stuff you do with, you know, covering the Cavs and we're interested in hiring you. And so they came after me. So then I, I did go there and start out covering the Nets. And um, it was, it's just a whole, as you know, man, New York was a different animal. That's why they generally, they'll start people off in the, on the Nets beat because it's not quite as big as the Knicks. You know, it's not okay. as important to people and all that. So I start off on the Nets beat when they um, had Keith Van Horn and Sam Cassell and then eventually got Stefan Marbury and guys like that. Uh, and then went to the Knicks. But it, it was... The um, it's you know, it's the same type of work, but it was just so much more competitive and cutthroat, to be honest, you know. Right. And uh, so you had to adjust to that, but um, I did it, you know, I did it, adjusted to it, and um, you know, did a good job. So I mean, when you say like, when you look at athletes, you say skill sets, shooter, you know, guards, or a postman with uh, great post moves. How was that skill set found in your profession? Like, how was that actually found? That's a good question. Um, I think I always tell people, like, you have guys who are really good writers who, you know, they just, their stories are tremendously well written. Mm -hmm. Uh, But then they don't really like reporting, like digging, you know, for information or even, you know, they don't get, the most, like if they sat down with an interview for you, they might not get the most out of you. You know, they now they could write it in a way that's really 
you know, great, but they don't get the most out of you as far as the interview. Then there right. are guys that are really good interviewers, but don't write that well. And I, I can, to, me and some of the other dudes that I like writers, really other, some of the other black writers, I would, we would kind of compare writing to like MCs, you know, okay. so like you got, you got a rock Kim or, or I'll say, I don't know, a Nas or, you know, some guys who are really first, <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Right, like right, lyricists. right. And then you got like a 50 cent who wasn't like a great lyricist, but he made good songs, you know what I mean? And so right, there's a difference. Right. So we would okay. always like compare our stuff like as rhyme, you know, and I want to be like a Nas or something, you know, where my stuff like Biggie, just great word playing really well written, you know? Mm -hmm. um, so I, what I say is you, you want to try to be both. You want to try to be a combination of a great writer and a great reporter. You know, and so, and reporting, man, it's an art, not a science. I mean, you, how you develop sources, it's just relationships, you know? It's like, if if you get cool with a player or a coach or somebody in the front office and they take a liking to you and you can get information, you know, they, they share information with you and stuff like that. Um, so it's kind of, it's, it's real, like I said, it's an art, not a hardcore science, you know? Um, so that's really how, how all that developed. And it's a lot different now too, just uh -huh. because, like I said, we didn't have the internet right, the um, social media. when I was covering the teams and, you know, you didn't, you didn't, you weren't texting like it, it back in the day, man. I mean, if you got a GM or two on the phone, that's uh -huh. a lot in a day. Now you could just text with guys all the time, you know? So, so that's right. why you see a lot more stories are broken today than used to be because the communication is so constant. So who, as far as your sources, right? Do you have to answer to somebody and say, you know what, I got a credible source so I can put this out or how does that go? And then also being able to break that, that first story, you know, who's, Who's in charge of that? Is it you or just somebody else that's giving you the nod? Okay, like, okay, you're going to run with it, Chris. Yeah, that's a good question. And it's changed over time because it used uh -huh. to be, like, especially at the New York Times, like, we rarely used anonymous sources. And for mm. you to use an anonymous I hate, source. I hate that. I oh, hate man, that. man, look, it changed <laughs> so that. much, Pose. Like, when we used to have to really, it used to have to be a huge story for you to use an anonymous source. And you'd have to talk with your editor about it. And, you know, okay, you sure about this? And you know what I mean? That type of thing. Um, yeah. now, and then it just kind of gradually changed to more and more anonymous sources being used. And it got yeah, to a point, I, I mean, you it. know this, you rarely see people talk on the record now. You know what I mean? About anything. Right, yeah. You're right. Like a feature or a game story. Right. And it got to a point even for me, like at ESPN, my last several years there, I mean, I wouldn't even really, it was all, it was just kind of understood. And really to this day too, when I talk to scouts or executives or coaches, it's just understood that it's off the record. You know, because and and there's a legitimacy to it. It's it's it goes both ways, but you know, people like and I get it. A GM can't say, "Yeah, we're looking <laughs> to trade." You know what I mean? 
so and so. Right. You can't say that on the record, you know? <laughs> and so it has to be off the record to get the truth out, you know? And right. so I get it. Um, and there's a lot of different types of sources. Obviously, I mentioned, you know, front office, um, coaches, uh, players, but then also people around the team, you know, um, friends of players. Cause you know this, like if I've I've broken stories where there was an argument or a fight in practice or you know, whatever, and the players, like if they're you know this probably if there's a fight in practice, the coaches don't be like, yo, don't say anything to the media. Don't right? say nothing, right? Exactly, exactly. Right. So who you gonna tell though? You tell your boys. And so if you are cool with so a player's boys, you can get information like that. You know what I mean? So right. but it's uh it's you know, and I get that too, Pose, because you know this like if and this probably comes from me having played at least to, to the college level. Um, if you say you had a fight with a teammate in practice, and it might have been just heat of the moment. Y'all, y'all actually are cool, but you know, it got heated, but it ain't no big deal after that. If I put a, if I write that James Posey and LeBron James had a fight, it'll become a huge, James, you know hey, what I mean? James Posey is gone. You better believe that. <laughs> hey, by the time I need a it, right? my, I'm already packing my bag. <laughs> <laughs> right. And, I, and, and the thing is, it may not have even been a bit because I had, <laughs> Almost have fights or with guys at college, and later that night we chilling in the bar. You know what I mean? Like it ain't no right. big deal. But when you put a headline on it, it be and then today it would get on TV, social. It becomes like much bigger than it it may have even been. So I get why coaches don't want that type of stuff out. Right. So is it like a race to have breaking news or be the first to do it? amongst your I say your competitors or something like that is it a race for that or or not yeah it it is um competitive you know the 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 writers compete um and so and now twitter's changed everything you know mm, uh yeah. when I was twitter fingers yeah when I was covering <laughs> teams man like you know think about it the newspaper comes out every morning so mm-hmm. if I got a scoop right now at this time in the afternoon, I would wait. I would write it, but it wouldn't come out until the next morning. And right. so you're just hoping that the other newspapers don't get it, you know? Right. And then you would find out in the morning if they knew. Um, but nowadays stuff is broken immediately. And I used to always feel too, like when you break a story, you got to tell why it's happening what's behind it and all that. But now it's really just transactions. You just type out so-and-so's being traded, you know, and a lot of that comes from agents, you know, um, and and it's interesting with Twitter because a lot of times an agent will call, so he might call one writer and then 15 seconds, 30 seconds later, call another one. And Uh then, you know, because he's got relationships with the various writers. And uh-huh. so it it that's a part I tell you I don't miss because I I never really um I I I didn't really enjoy that part because it's stressful and it's so okay. you know I enjoyed more covering the game writing stories about the players telling stuff like that right. but that summer 
when the big three came together in Miami, you know, I was breaking a lot of that stuff. And then I kind of became, got in that mold. And uh, I really didn't want to be in that mold, but I went there. And so um, I don't miss not having to do that. Cause like, for instance, this summer when I'm, I don't even know who to try and think of who the big free agents are, but I won't have to chase where so-and-so is where Blake Griffin signing at just right. whenever he signs, I'll be able to just give my opinion about it and analyze it and stuff like that. So that's a lot uh, less, less stressful. <laughs> well, I got you, man. That sounds like it. So you brought it up, the, the breaking of uh, LeBron and the Miami thing. How was that? And how did that make you feel? Like he was like, yeah, like, you know, covering, you know what I'm saying, that Cleveland area, LeBron James, right. best high school player coming out and, you know, his career. And now this big moment for him and changing teams. Like, how was that for you? Well, that man... Going into that summer, obviously, we all knew it was going to be a huge summer. Um, I was like, this is the biggest story maybe of the decade, you know, like of, of the century since it was in the 2000s. And I was like, I'm just going to work around the clock to try to break as much of it as, as I can. Uh -huh. And so I was and this is no. So for like two or three weeks right before he, he announced, I was working around the clock. And I would be at ESPN, no lie, maybe from 6, 15 in the morning, because I do Mike and Mike in the morning, and mm -hmm. then stay. There were days I was there till 1 o'clock in the morning, because I wow. do all the various sports centers, and I would just stay there and work the phones when I wasn't on TV and writing stuff. Um, and, and even when you go to your hotel, you know, it's 24-7 now. And mm -hmm. so I just worked my tail off for those three weeks because I knew I was like, this is the big story and this could be huge for me. And so um, it did help. You know, it got me on the NBA countdown show with Magic Johnson for that year and John Barry and Mike Wilbon. So it really did help my career. Um, I was, you know, I knew LeBron. I, I did a lot of stories on LeBron um, when he was in Cleveland, his first go round. So I knew him pretty mm -hmm. well. and. Um, it was, you know, I was one of the few poles that didn't kill him when he made that move. And you remember, he was getting destroyed by everybody. Right, everybody, and I right. I looked at it like this, and I said this on the air. Um, I said, hold up. We always rip players, and we say all they want is the money, right? They don't right. care about winning. <laughs> I said, this guy took less money and was willing to take much less, you know, to go to Miami right. to win. So right. number one, we shouldn't rip him for that. That's being hypocritical. I said, number two, we always talk about their ego. Oh, he just wants to be the man. He don't care about winning. I said, LeBron was giving up being the man, being the king to be right. one of, what were they saying? Three kings, right? right. So he was right. giving up ego to win. Like all the things we say we want in the athletes, care about winning, care about team, don't be selfish. He was showing. And right. I was like, yeah. so... We should, you know, I think it's hypocritical to kill him for that. And then, yeah. so when Durant went to Golden State, same thing. A lot of guys were killing him. I was actually going at it with Stephen A. on SportsCenter about it. <laughs> and, um, and I said this. I said, look, all y'all killing him now, but when he, in two or three years, when he's got two championships, 
and at least one finals MVP, you're going to be praising him. Right. Because I saw with LeBron, all them people that killed him when he won it, oh, he's the greatest. He's this, he's that. (laughs) Right. And I said, that's That's hypocritical. If if, if you don't think (laughs) it, you know, if you think he cheated or whatever because the team was so stacked, then don't praise him when he wins, you know? And I said, so with Durant, I was like, I'm not killing him because I know y'all going to be praising him when he wins and he's going to win and it'll look hypocritical, you know? And so, and and the thing pose, they were, LeBron, you know this, he had tried to get guys to go to Cleveland. Like he was trying to get Bosch to go there and he couldn't, and he's looking at, okay, uh, the Celtics got this bunch of stars, you know, mm-hmm. and even history, he's a history, you know, he knows the history of the game. If you look at most of these teams, the uh, the Celtics with Bird, the Lakers with Showtime, like they were yep. stacked. And so yep. he was like, if the Cavs can't get me another star or two, then I'm going to have to build it myself. And that's what he's done. And now that's what we see being done, you know, all the time now. All the time, yeah, all the time now. So it's interesting. So, you know, going back, he covered Brown first, you know, in Cleveland. Just think about uh, the team that he put together now, like his power team, you know what I'm saying, with Rich Paul, Mav, and Randy, those guys. You've seen that. I mean, you have firsthand experience of that. What was that like then? And did you think, how did you, you know, when you heard uh, the posse comment, you know what I'm saying? But you were there firsthand to see it develop. How how was that movement for LeBron James and his power team there? Man, yeah, I, I was around LeBron and Mav, Maverick Carter, Rich Paul, and Randy Mims, like, early yeah. in their his first couple years in the league. And the C-man, I actually think LeBron has laid a blueprint for right. like, what a lot of athletes should be doing. And you notice, yeah. like, in the 90s, it was popular for guy, you know, they what they call entourages, you know. Yep. And a guy yep. would have his entourage and his boys hanging out with him. And your boys are your boys, so they don't mean to do this. But a lot of times they they use up a lot of your money. You know, right. I've, I've heard stories about players who would fly their boys to various cities, cities. with them. You know, when yep. they traveling, staying in the hotel. Or, or yeah. come to their city, stay in a big-time hotel for yeah. weeks. Living a life with them like they the player. <laughs> right, right. And yeah. so, and you're, that's, they they don't mean it necessarily, but they're using up a ton of your money, you know. Right. And so LeBron, like I said, I, I would love for more players, particularly African-Americans, to follow his blueprint because he had his guys and he put them in position to become, you know, moguls in their own right. You know, so when LeBron retires, Rich Paul's still going to be the man. Matthew Clark's still going to have Spring Hill entertain. You know, like there, and that's what we need to do as African-Americans. You know, we talk about the old boy network. That's what happens, you know, among white Americans. They know each other, Mm. you know, or they got connections. They got contacts, so they help people get in positions. We have to do that. And that's what LeBron's done. And so um, rather than have, you can bring your boys with you as he's done, but put them in position to become successful in their own right. Like, and even if everybody can't do what Maverick does, everybody can't do what Rich does. Right. But you could say to your boy, look, 
I, I'll send you to college. Real talk, like, you know, like yeah, you got six yeah. years to graduate. And when you come out, you know, you can work for me or you can become my business yeah. manager or whatever, you know, but you can empower. I, I think brothers, instead of just having your boys hang around you and even un, un, unknowingly or not purposely eating up a lot of your money, put them in positions to be empowered, even if it's getting them a job with the team or with a shoe company or some connections that you have, because right. ultimately they're going to want to stand on their own two feet anyway, you right. know, as a man. And so I, I love what LeBron's done, man. Um, it's just, it's, you couldn't ask him to do more. And I say this, you know, he, he said early in his career, he wanted to be a global icon like Ali and he would bring up Muhammad Ali. And obviously mm -hmm. Ali kind of is on this pedestal by himself for the time period he was in and speaking out. Right. About and so I don't put LeBron necessarily on that, but I will say this in terms of tangible things, LeBron has done more, you know what I mean? Then mm. I like starting the school, um, yeah. putting his guys yeah. in, you know, starting his media company, production company, um, right. clutch sports, like, all the things he's done, in addition to speaking out, he's done more tangible things, you know, right. than not only Ali, but but a lot of people. And so um, it's just great to see what he's done. And, you know, being from that area, it's awesome to see that. Right. Question. Uh, coming from that area, I'm sure you interviewed plenty of players then in their high school days and even probably going on to college. Any players stick out where you thought like, hey, this kid really had a chance. He's going to be able to go to uh, go to college, you know, have a great career there, and then also go professionally and didn't make well, it. Because you're one of the two that I can think of. I, I don't know. I think you and Earl Boykins oh, are the two oh, guys man. that I covered that went pro. And you remember, if you saw Earl, I'm sure you saw him playing in high school. Yeah, he, 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 gave, he busted up. He way. gave us 45. Did 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 y'all <laughs> my junior year, man? Oh man! I know you was yeah. like, "How is this dude doing this, man?" Listen, going into it, like, man, we gonna we gonna trap this little dude, man. Right. He ain't gonna do nothing. Listen, man, Earl gave us forty five. Man, he laughing at us while doing it. He coming across <laughs> half court, shooting like right across half court, shooting. You know what I'm saying? Another wow. trade balls. We couldn't trap him. He gave us buckets, and they beat no. us, you know, of course. But yeah, Earl. Earl was man, it was amazing. And like you, you know, if you saw him in college and in the pros, he played the same exact way that he yeah. played in high school, you know. And so, yeah. um, and it's funny every time I know he was laughing at y'all because every time I see him before a game, he would be like, Watch me put 40 on these boys, or watch me put 30 on these boys, all the way up to the NBA. Like, he was so um, y'all two, and Ruben was around, Ruben Patterson. Ruben, he was around y'all yeah, time, right? Yeah. I didn't really cover yeah. him, but y'all two, and I cover Antoine Winfield and Mike Vrabel in, that made it okay. to the NFL. But okay. as far as um, guys that I thought had a shot, because you know that's a good, it's, it's bigger in football, but it's a good basketball area too. Um, you remember Quentin Brooks from Firestone? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. He was the big, yep. you know, he was the best player in the area um, that one year. He went to Michigan State, mm -hmm. and I think he ended up playing overseas. Yeah, remember Michael, Malcolm Sims? Yeah, Malcolm yeah, Sims yeah, from Shaker, Shaker Heights, yeah. right? 
Yeah, yeah, I was at yep. Shaker first, man. We was looking at Malcolm like, man, like we just knew he was going, you know. Right. So he was the man, smooth game. And then right. I think he ended up just going to Cleveland State. And then I'm not sure what happened after that. But Malcolm Sims, hell yeah, like oh, Shaker. Yeah, he was he was he was bad. Killing. Didn't he yeah. start? I think he started at Indiana. And then oh, yeah, might have ended up transferring yeah, to Cleveland State or something so. like that. Yeah, I think so. I think yeah. you're right. Yeah. But, um, yeah, who else was around was um he played football. He ended up being a linebacker uh, for the Redskins. Um, Link, what's his name? Little dude. Uh, he played in London Fletcher. London, London Fletcher. Fletcher. London Fletcher. Yeah, he was a point. Did y'all yeah. play them? No, uh, Villa St. Joe. When he was at yeah. uh, St. Joe's, right? Yeah, yeah. He was a point guard. Uh, right. And he was good. Solid, swole. Yeah, yeah, he was. yeah, yeah. Had a vertical. He was shooting at the top of the man. He was <laughs> nice too. Like the Fletcher. Yeah. Hell yeah. Yeah, yeah. It was some um, you know, it was some great ballers, man. But I actually think it seems like the area has gotten even better in basketball now. Okay. And and some of that's probably LeBron and even y'all making it to the NBA. But I think. I think that area, like I said, Ohio was always a bat, a football state, and right. it still is. But I think there's a lot more big time basketball, basketball. players coming out of there now, you know. But um, yeah, I think those are y'all the two, you and Earl, man, the, the two that I remember covering in high school. Yeah, that went on. Right. So appreciate that. So, question: What's been the, I guess, the best, the worst, and the most epic? interviews or stories that you covered that you was, I mean, it just made you like sit back like, man, I can't, I can't even believe it, it was a waste of time or it wasn't. Right, <laughs> you know? right. Um, my, my, my best experience probably as in sports writing was when I went to Africa. And this was in like 2005 and 2006. So if you remember, that's when we were losing, America was losing an international competition. So was it 04 when they lost in the Olympics with LeBron and Carmelo and all those guys that weren't, they weren't playing a lot, but they lost. And then we lost in a few of the, you know, off year tournaments and all that. Right. So we did a big story on ESPN, the magazine on how they're developing players around the world. So we sent like Rick Buecher, I think went to Asia. Um, We sent somebody to South America, somebody to Europe. Somebody stayed in America. And then I went to Africa and we were doing how they're developing different players. And so I went to Senegal, which was the first basketball academy in Africa. And um, just, you know, as an African-American man, being there, I was there all told for three three to four weeks. And I went, I went twice for like two weeks each. And as, as African-American going there, it was a great experience because we stayed in the city, uh, Dakar. And, you know, you just got a real feel for the people. And, uh-huh. um, you know, it was it was just from a cultural standpoint, it was great. And and that's actually where I met Masai Ujiri, who oh, was wow. at that point. He was I think he, he was a scout. I don't know if it was for the Nuggets or who I can't remember what team, maybe Washington, wow. but he was a scout. Lance Blanks was over there who ended up working with the Cavs. Um, okay. He may have been with the Cavs. I don't know if he was with the Cavs at that time, but, you know, a lot of guys over there and a lot of, you know, great players and, and athletes over there. So it was just a, a, that was my greatest experience 
just from a culture standpoint, you know. Um, right. And so as far as tough situations, kind of like you said, you know, I'll go back to the Kawhi, like when he went to the Clippers and I had tweeted or been saying he was going to go to the Lakers. And I wasn't really trying to say, I wasn't really trying to be a reporter because I was Uh out of that space, but I was just tweeting what I'm hearing, you know, but you know, now if you say anything, it's a report, you know, you might, you might just say it uh, as you hearing this or, uh, your own opinion, opinion but it, it's, right. yeah, it's put out there like it's a report. So anyway, I was saying Kawhi, and I was talking to a lot of people too that were saying Kawhi was going to the Lakers. And mm-hmm. I still do believe had he not been able to get Paul George there, that he was going to the Lakers, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, and I know I've been to, like Doc Rivers thought that afternoon, that Friday afternoon when it happened, that he was, he thought Kawhi was going to the Lakers. And then that deal, the trade came through, and then Kawhi went to the Clippers. So, but but when he went to the Clippers, and I had been out front saying Lakers, I got ripped, you know. And right. <laughs> it's like being a player, you gotta have tough skin, you know what I mean? Right. And so that was that was one of the tougher things. So I mean, you might have touched on a little bit. So, what are the sort of some do's and some don'ts in your profession where you could just, I mean, have your privileges? revoke and people not mess with you you know what i'm saying <laughs> or, right or, well as far as a don't never burn your your sources so like never you know if you 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 work you whether it's a player or a front office person or whatever if they're telling giving you information never reveal who they are you know their names because right, right. if you I mean, one, it's just ethically wrong. You know, you got a, a, a kind of an understanding with this person. But also, if you put somebody's name out there, oh, they talk to other people around the league, you know, other right. players. So they could be like, yo, don't mess with him because right. he burned, you know what I mean? Don't tell me right. he burned me like this. Right. So that's right. that's really a, a big don't. And then generally, and it's hard nowadays because like you said, it's so much, who wants to be first, be first, but you rather be right than first, right. you know, and the right times that I've gotten into trouble or not trouble, but you know, times I got a story wrong is when I was thinking more about being first than being, you know, making sure being dotting all my I's right. and crossing my T's first. So those are really two, two things to avoid. Got you. Yeah. Lock that in right here. I'm gonna lock that <laughs> in right here. You when well, you gonna so, start breaking stories, huh? <laughs> yeah, hey, I'm working on. I'm working it one day, maybe one day. <laughs> so, who's your competition? Well, now you know I don't really, you know, now I'm an opinionist and an analyst, so I don't really. It's not really not competing with anybody in that regard. Obviously, okay. you know, you on the show and you you going you debating with Skip and Shannon and Nick Wright and. Rob Park on the radio show, but that's, that's just in fun and and debating. It's not really competition to break stories. But when I was at ESPN, obviously Woj was the big competition at Yahoo. And Mm. I was not really, cause when I first went to ESPN, I was in the, I was a magazine writer, you know? So I was doing feature stories and I wasn't really, I was, I even told him I'm not coming here to 
break news and be that getting right. that daily grind because I could have stayed at the New York Times for that. Um, and I was out of, but like I said, that summer of 2010, when LeBron went to Miami, I did say, you know what, I'm going to try to break these stories when I can. So I really focused on that. And then ESPN started viewing me like, oh, he can be our Adam Schefter, the NBA. And I never mm. really wanted to be that. You know, I, I, I was enjoying the features and TV and all that. So I kind of half did it, half, you know, but Mark Stein was there. He was my colleague at ESPN, great reporter. And he and Woes was really, they were real in competition. So then I would help Mark and, and try to help ESPN get the stories. Uh, but Woes was, Woes was really the biggest comp, like, because Woes obviously breaking a ton of stuff. And, mm -hmm. um, you know, and I know I met Woes, gosh, the late 90s, covering the Nets. Oh, and uh, wow. he was a columnist. So, you know, all the writers know each other. But he's, he's obviously... Uh, the king of breaking NBA news. There's no doubt about it. <laughs> right. So you full of energy, knowledge of, of where the games and what's going on. Do you ever get tired of having, I guess, barbershop talk where it's not sort of, you know, man, I just talked about this. I'm tired of hearing about it or anything like that amongst your friends or like I said, the barbershop or you out eating something like that. I'm sure everybody running up to you like, yo, what you think about this? What about that? How do you feel about that? And do you ever get tired? And that's just like, you know, for us, we're going to eat and you might just want to have family time <laughs> with your family and eat a meal. And they like, you know, I don't mean to bother you, but I'm going to bother you anyway. Right, right, you right. something. You know what I'm saying? Right. Do you have that when, you, when you're going out with your family? Yeah, man. I mean, <laughs> and you know, I mean, we're on TV all the time. So a lot of people know us. It's, it's kind of like, y'all, it's not like the superstars, but it's like, you know, a lot of average NBA players, people know you. And so there are a lot of times where I want to just go somewhere and I'll be like hoping don't nobody recognize me. You know what I mean? I'm, I'm just here to right. get my groceries or, you know, I'm just here to right. do a little shopping and you don't want people to recognize you. Um, and then, like you said, sometimes you with your family or friends and people come up and, and people do feel like they know you. You know what I mean? Because <laughs> right. I guess, cause you're, you know, you're on TV and you're right. Yeah, you, they see your personality, so they kind of feel like they know you, so people come up and, you know, you'll be cool. Yeah, yeah, I'll take a picture. We can do that. And then they want to have this conversation. It's like, look, I'll do the picture, but I, we ain't cool. You know, I don't know you. You know what I mean? Like, and then I'll tell you this, Pose, and I think, obviously, Skip Bayless probably uh, started it, I, I, I guess, and, and Stephen A., um, the debate, the whole debate thing. Mm -hmm. What I've noticed as that's grown more and more popular, man, everybody got a take now. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Like everybody got a take. Right. And it's not like, it's not like people just want to discuss something now. It's like they got a take like, yo, Durant ain't nothing with, you know, cause Brooklyn getting all these players or, or LeBron's right. better than Jordan. Like, and everybody wants to, prove their point, just average random people, you know? Right. And so I right. think the culture has become infected with this spirit of debate, you know? Mm. And, um, yeah. and you know, look, a lot of this, man, I mean, it's, it's no right, and a lot of it is no right or wrong. Right. I mean, right. LeBron, right. yeah, I do think it's Jordan, and I think LeBron is second, 
but there's right. you can't prove either you know it's it's subjective and, right. and then you can throw kareem and other players in there so um but everybody man people are a lot more spirited in debating that stuff now so is there to you is there what is, what is the championship in your profession uh who will be the goat I guess in, in your profession or like an MVP, you know how we have it as, you know, right. in the NBA is, does that exist in, in, in your, in your profession? Well, you know, they have awards, but they are, it is not, they're not the equivalent. I mean, you got Pulitzer prize and stuff like that, but I'm talking about the awards we have aren't really the equivalent of like an NBA championship or an MVP in terms of the recognition, you know what I mean? Like you'll get, you win awards, but it's not, you know, it's not the hoopla of winning an MVP or, or being an NBA championship. But if you're talking about GOATs, I mean, like I said, I would say the GOAT of breaking new NBA news is Walsh. You know, um, I think that's clear. Um, I think... You know, look, my man is Skip. That's my. I'm cool with Stephen A. too, but I'm a Fox, so I got to roll with Skip. Right, <laughs> but Skip right. and Stephen A. And and I gotta give Shannon credit, man. Shannon Sharp yeah. has been fantastic. Like he has. He's yeah. he doesn't take a backseat to either one of those guys. And I mean, he's. Right. You know, there was wonder. People wondered. Okay, this is a football player. Is he gonna be able to? You know hold his own with basketball and all that. And Shan is terrific. So yeah. he's definitely up there. But, you know, and and you got to look at the pioneers with Will Bond, Mike Will Bond and Tony Kornheiser. That mm -hmm. show, uh, Pardon the Interruption, was really the first show of this kind. You know what I mean? They mm -hmm. didn't really go at it, I don't think, like Skip and Stephen A or anything like that. But they, you know, it's, it's kind of the first. They were the pioneers. Um, but I would say of this debate genre, um, Skip and, and Stephen A are, that's, that'd be an interesting, you know, people could debate that. If they, who, who's the GOAT between those two, you know, as far as this debate genre, you know? Right. So do, so do you have a, a, a Mount Rushmore uh, of, of I, I guess in your in your perfect like like you said I mean you you spoke of highly of these guys here but is there a Mount Rushmore like you have in a basketball right it changes it you know it changes all the time but for you who would those people be if any you know I I had never thought of that you got some tough questions Pose <laughs> yes 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 like I'm turning this thing around on you um I I don't I mean look I I would say obviously. You go back, you got Howard Cosell's definitely on there. Okay. I'm going to give you a few definite. He's definitely on there. Uh, Stuart Scott is definitely on there. Now, I'm mixing up all type. You know, he's an anchor. He obviously right. Cosell did his thing. And then you got writers. And so it's a lot of different genres in here. But I'm saying Cosell... Stuart Scott, because Stuart Scott changed everything. He changed the game. Like before that, as an African-American, you know, you kind of felt like to go on TV, you have to, you know, be you a little. Up. Yeah, yeah. Like <clears throat> don't be playing. Yeah. Hip, hip right. hop, none of that. You know, 
And if you look, I, I've I've often said if it was if there was no Seward Scott, we might not have mm. had a Charles Barkley. Cause it just might not have been that space created for him to be himself. You know what I mean? It's Stephen A. Smith, you know, like, and so it was different. So he, and then now you see people of all races using, whether it's using his lines or just using his style coming up with all Mm -hmm. these things. So he's, those are two that are definitely up there. I got to be honest, man, my man, Stephen A. Like what he's doing it's hard not to, you know, I mean, he's doing from being a great reporter to now with the television and the debate, but then doing, you know, the NBA show on ESPN and then the, the thing with his the little baby Stephen A. Oh, <laughs> like, yeah, that's pretty funny. Yeah, I mean, he's going to go down as a legend, you know, so all these guys. So it's a lot of different genres in there. Um, I think I'll say this. I think. In my opinion, the best guy on sports talk radio, and this is not because I'm at Fox, but I think Colin Cowherd is tremendous. You know, when it comes to sports talk radio. Now, I think Mike and Mike in the morning, that was an awesome sports talk radio show. I loved it. Uh Um, But as far as solo, I think Cowherd is tremendous. Um, Jim Rome had a run. You know, yeah. he had a, he's still <laughs> on, but he was, you know, he was at the top of the mountain for a while. But, mm-hmm. um, and then writers, it's just a lot of guys that, you know, there are a lot of, the interesting thing, Pose, there are a lot of great writers that people don't know about because they're not on national TV. Right. You know right. what I mean? Mm-hmm. And like, mm-hmm. they're tremendous columnists. And back in the day when it was just newspapers, they were like, at the top, but now your average fan doesn't know about them because they didn't go the TV route. So that's unfortunate right. for a lot of guys, but those are some of the names. Okay. But I gave you some names. <laughs> yeah. Hey, we, we going to run with those names too. We appreciate <laughs> it. Um, do you have any haters? Do you ever like sit back and think like, yo, this, this man, he just a flat out just hating on what I do. You know what I'm saying? Because you in your own lane. Do you have right. any haters like that? I'm sure I do. I'm not, you know, and look, I'm a, I'm older. I don't, you even didn't grow up on social media, you know? So right. I don't, honestly, man, I don't pay much attention to, you know, the social media, like what people are saying on Twitter about me right. and stuff like that. Just because I'm not, you know, I use it for work and not, you know, you get news and stuff from it, but I'm not really the one to be on there looking at what people are saying and responding and all that. So it's, if you get, I, I call them Twitter muscles, you know, you got guys that have Twitter muscles, but, but never once have I been out where people and people was hating on me. You know, like I've I've never been out and had somebody come up like, yo, man, you don't know what you're talking about. You horrible. You know, none of that stuff you might right. see on Twitter. It's when I'm out, it's always, oh, I love you. Can I get a picture? And I know some of the people probably are the haters, you know? Well, well, I'm saying like, you know, say you're covering the finals or something and you're actually there at that event and you're looking across the room and then somebody just giving you that look or they just mad or something because you're doing your thing or whatever. It's like in that room. 
you come across any haters? Oh, like other reporters or anything <laughs> yeah, like that? Yeah, other reporters, yeah. My bad, yeah, other reporters. I, I, I don't really, but I'll I tell you what, the competition when I was at ESPN, and again, I didn't view it myself as like going at it with Woj a lot, but the competition was fierce, you know, between ESPN and, and Yahoo. Um, it was pretty fierce. And again, me and Woj, it never got to a point where we weren't cordial. Right. You know, but when I when we first met, we had a very friendly relationship. Um okay. and, and then as the competition heated up. Uh, again, not so much me individually, but just ESPN before he went to ESPN. Uh, Woes just was like, yo, I'm all, I'm, I'm tunnel vision. And so, you know, it wasn't, we, we never, like I said, it was always cordial, but it wasn't the, the friendliness of that it had been early on because mm -hmm. he was in that zone, you know? And right. so, but, but I don't, I don't really, you know, I, I can't think of any enemies in the industry. That, that I really, really have. What do you think um, needs to happen or should happen to get more minorities in, you know what I'm saying, in the league, coaching jobs in the front offices and things like that? What's your, what's your view on that? Yeah, that's a great question. Because obviously, like, the NBA has done a better job than most uh, leagues. But it's mm -hmm. still a long way to go. And it's interesting now because the coaching, I don't know how many – black coaches there are now but at one point it was at 13 that right. was i think that was the high mark out of 30 um and then it's it's gone down to five or six or seven you know so it might be six or seven now um but i think that uh analytics has really uh a lot of you know a lot of there are there are some that feel like that was almost uh, a, a way to get more whites into the game, you know, mm -hmm. uh, because the route used to be not exclusively, but to a large degree, former players would end up being the coaches and the GMs, you know, um, oh. and there's, that still happens, but it's a lot more you see that never played in the league. Never. There's many that didn't play at any at high school level, you know, or right, certainly right. not college, right? And a lot right. of, and I'm telling you, Pose, there are guys that I think don't really know the game. Like, they can't just watch it and tell you who, who can ball and you know what I mean? But all right. they know is the numbers. N numbers. You right. know, and, and that impressive impresses owners. So if you're in an interview with the owner and the owner owns corporations. He's used to people bringing him diagrams and numbers, right? How this going to work. And so if you sit down and just talk hoop with him, he may not be able to understand. But the guy that can go in there and point to all these analytics and this is why we're not winning because, you know, we don't shoot a certain number, higher percentage of three, you know, whatever it might be, they can impress the owner. And so one, I do think and I've had even executives tell me this, African-Americans, that you younger guys need to get more into analytics too. Like younger African-Americans mm. start looking in that. But um, I think it has to come down to those African-Americans that are in power positions, 
you don't always have to hire an African-American, but but right. looking out for them, giving them chances, um, interviews, recommending them to other places. And if you see foul play, like if you see mm. one team or one specific individual just will not hire blacks or, you know, very few, like a, a ridiculous, he, right. he don't hire enough and not being fair, then you need to call it out. You need to speak out. Because what happens is the goalpost moves for us. Uh-huh. You know, and that's what I'm saying with the analytics. Like it used to be, right. you know, you come up through the league and you played or you in a Now it's a, a different route. And you see it worse in the NFL, you know, yeah. where you, you used to have to go one route and now they got guys with very little experience in getting head coaching jobs. And um, so I just think that the blacks in positions of power need to, you know, really look out for other African-Americans when they're, and if it gets bad, you know, too bad, then at some point players can wield their power, you know what I mean? And speak out. Like I didn't like, and look, I love, Hard and I have no problem with him leaving Hughes. I think he's, he, I think he's like playing better than anybody in the world right now. Right um, now, yeah, he balling. But I, I feel for like I, I, I hate what's happened to Steven Silas. Right. Because he's yeah. waited twenty years for this head job, and yeah. he's a good coach, and right. dudes are bailing on him. You know what I mean? And um, right. obviously, he's going through this horrible season, and so um, it's tough tough on him but yeah so I just think you got to look out for brothers and do what you can to help guys out when you get in those positions yeah I mean I agree like in that situation I mean I understand you want to get out probably I thought he should have went about it a different way you know a little bit behind closed doors for the most part but at the end of the day ball out for him rock out for him make him look good (laughs) he's making look good until you leave you know right I guess that's you know I think I think what I think Harden's mentality initially was I'm gonna go ball. Y'all told me you working with me. You know I want out. All right, I'm a ball. And the first three games, he was great. I think he had like 44, 33, right. 34, something like that. And he started singing, man, they ain't gonna trade me if I can, you know, to keep doing. And I'm not justifying it because you're right. But he dogged it for a few, like five games and then they sat out the one game. And that's how he got to do. That's how he got out of there. But yeah, it, it, it's uh, it was a tough situation. Yeah. During this uh, pandemic, it's been tough for everybody. How has it how how has it been for you? You know, what I'm saying, being you know, everybody's doing everything virtual. You know, what I'm saying, with you know, right. Zoom or whatever it may be. How has it been for you? It's been great, man. I, you know, because during the season, I'm usually in LA a lot because a lot of our Fox mm-hmm. Sports shows are in Los Angeles. So it's my house LA is in. Yeah, <laughs> I miss the weather. I'll tell you that. I do miss the weather out there. But I live in New Jersey. And so now I've been back in Jersey since March of 2020. Right. So uh, it's been great. I got a studio in my house. I do everything from the house, TV, radio. So I, I love it, man. It's been good, especially once sports came back, you know. Um, right, right. Until sports came back, it was really tough, especially with a radio show and stuff. But um, I, it's been great. I mean, I'm obviously looking forward to getting back to, you know, when we're back. Traveling. Yeah. yeah, yeah. But yeah. Um, but it's been it's been it's been good as far as work. 
Now you're the founder and president of the King Movement. Could you could you uh fill me in on that? Yeah, King. It's a it's an acronym that stands for Knowledge, Inspiration, and Nurture through God. And what we really do, we want to we want to empower boys and men to reach their God given potential. You know, in in your family life, your marriage, raising your children, your careers. You know, just we want to help people become what God created them to be. And and the group King is for all men, but it's primarily African-American, at least at this point. And so, as you know, we got a lot of challenges in our community, a lot of obstacles in our path. So we try to work with brothers, you know, like, like a lot of guys now are growing up without fathers, you know, the majority. Mm -hmm. And so we try to, you know, help brothers like, you know, it, it, like I grew up with my dad and I just saw that example every single day. Uh-huh. Even It didn't even take him sitting down telling me this is what you do as a father or whatever, you know, husband. I just saw it and you just pick it up, you know. Mm-hmm. And so a lot of guys growing up, they don't see that. And so uh-huh. we want to like that's just one example of something we want to provide, you know, and, and give advice and, and get brothers ready for marriage or being a husband, being a father and things like that. Okay. Be mentors. We have we have mentorship programs where we work with young boys and stuff like that. So that's really what it's about. And we've done a lot of work with ex-athletes. Like every Super Bowl, we do something called the huddle. We use, It's during the NBA season, so we usually have NBA or NFL players, ex-NFL players talk to kids. But we've had NBA guys as well. Um, so just, you know, we we go – every Super Bowl, we go to an HBCU. So we, we did Morehouse in Atlanta – then two okay. years ago in Miami, we did Florida Memorial. And we we would have ex-athletes, myself and others, talking to young men, like hundreds of young men, about, um, like I said, family life, um, you know, uh, domestic violence, like avoiding that, um, uh, career development, and, 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 and faith and the importance of faith in your life and, and things like that. So... It's been really positive. It's been it's been really good. That's great, man. Keep up the great work, man. I appreciate you always. Um, at the end of the show, I have a segment called Free Game. What free game do you have for people out here? Free game. So, like, like advice or whatever you people information knowledge you want to share with people out here, but it's it's free game. You know, what I'm saying give you know from you. It could be anything oh. sports related or just. Anything. In general, mm-hmm. I would just say, um, yeah, I'm gonna say this, Pose. Um, right now, there's a lot of focus in, in the African American community on like police brutality, and rightly so, you know. And a lot of even pushing, like, I've I worked with Ice Cube uh, when he put out his contract with Black America to push for reparations and things like that. So there's a lot of push for that and that's good. And we should be doing that. But I think I don't want, we can't lose focus of also looking inside, inside our own community and looking Mm -hmm. at some of the destructive things that are going on within ourselves. You know, Um, like when we say Black Lives Matter, which I fully support obviously, but it's not just black lives that get killed by police that matter. 
you know, it's black lives that got killed by other brothers. You know yeah. what I mean? So, gotcha. so just as much as we focus on, we can do both. It's not one or the other. And a lot of times when you right. see on TV pundits talking about African-American, our, our plight, you got those that completely focus on the system and the obstacles that they put in our path. And then mm -hmm. you have those that just want to focus on us, pull up your pants, study hard. And, you know, <laughs> and no, it's both. It's really right. a, a mixture of both. Like we do, as all people, we have things we need to work on ourselves. And then the system also needs to be more fair and just. So I would say let's not lose track, uh, lose focusing on both and, and look at the things in our community that need change or need improvement. And we can work on those just like we work on improving the system and our opportunities. Yeah, y'all having some free game from Chris Bazaar, man. Yo, I appreciate you taking the time out your busy day. You're a busy man. But thank <laughs> you, man. I appreciate the love you've shown. And uh, hey, from the heart, from the land, I appreciate you. Thanks. Nah, definitely, man. You know, um, anytime you need me, let me know. And you you hit me with some hard questions, so you you have definitely adjusted <laughs> yeah. to the media, man. Like <laughs> I'm trying, I'm trying. Yeah, yeah I'm you ain't studying. playing. I'm, I'm listening to you. I'm listening to you for sure. <laughs> <laughs> nah, great job, man. Uh, anytime you need me, let me know, and we'll get you on the radio show again too. All right, man. Thank you. I appreciate. All you. right, bro. Peace. All right, peace. Yo, this is James Posey. Thanks for checking out Posecast. Brought to you by basketballnews.com. You can check out Polescast on all your listening platforms.